journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And indeed, it's just after one o'clock and I am Adel Kozilski and I'm excited to be with you for the next three quarters of an hour. I've got lots of stories to tell you today and this is what we are going to see when learning Torah. It's not just about the verses in the Bible, but there is a tremendous amount of flesh around the Torah. There's the Midrash, um, which basically like fills in the stories, there's all the allegorical stuff, there's all the Kabbalah and the, 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 the mystical stuff. And we, we keep on learning Torah all the time, coming back again and again and again. And one would think that when one has learned it so, so much, you know, you'd know everything. And the answer to that is that it's not true. Every time I sit down and I learn, um, I see that there is more and more to learn. So thank you for joining me. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's 34519-061-895 is our SMS line. Love to hear from you and let's get stuck in. And we're really only going to do one verse. Believe it or not, we're going to be doing one verse today and that is in chapter 37 and it is verse 36. Now when you will look at it, you'll actually think to yourself, like, what is this woman going to talk about? It seems an innocuous verse, just a simple verse that reads as follows. We're talking about Joseph. If you have been following the, um, the, the podcasts that Joseph was sold into Egypt. So people called the, Midan, the Midanim sold him into Egypt. Lefotifar to Potiphar, who was Sris Paro. He was a one of Paro's officers. And what was his job? He was Sar Hatabachim. He was the chief butcher. Now, and today I'm going to show you and share with you the beauty of Midrash. So last week we spoke about the fact that when we actually went back. And we looked at how the, how Yosef was sold. There were certain inconsistencies, okay? Because if you go back, if you do have a uh, Bible, you have a Chumash in front of you. If you go back to chapter uh, to verse 27 of chapter 37, you will see here it says, "Vayavru anashim midyanim," that Midianite traders passed by. "Vayimshichu vayalu el Yosef minabor," they pulled Joseph up from the pit. And they sold Yosef to the Yishmaelim. And here in this verse now, in verse 36, we see that it wasn't the Ishmaelites and the it wasn't the Midianim, but it was the, Mid, the Midanim that sold him. So we actually need to understand what really happened behind the scenes. And I'm going to take you. Uh, behind the scenes. As I was learning all of this, I figured this would make like for great, a little great kid's book. Right. So the first thing is, is that according to one opinion in the Torah, we are told that Yosef was sold four times, meaning it wasn't just one sale that his brother sold them to travelers and the travelers came into Egypt. And that was the end of that. But that in fact, Joseph passed hands. Who did he pass hands with? Well, we are told that the brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sold him to traders. The traders sold him to Midianites. 
And the Medanites sold him then to Potiphar. Another opinion holds that Yosef was sold five times. Why? Because since the Midianites sold him, when they came into Egypt, they had to first sell him by legal law um, to what was called the public treasury, okay, as a state slave. And from there, Potiphar purchased him. And how do they know that? Because if you look at the verse, it says they sold him, they machru oto el Mitzrayim, they sold him into Egypt, le Potiphar, to Potiphar. So from there they learn that that is um, how it worked. First it had to be sent to the state of Egypt, and from there Potiphar went and picked himself a slave. Now, there's a whole lot of questions that we can and should ask ourselves about this whole selling story. Firstly, Yosef's actions after he was sold seem quite difficult to understand because why didn't he try to send his father a message or send his father a letter? They weren't so far. You know, Egypt to Canaan, Egypt to Israel is at most a 10-day a 10-day journey. Okay, um, today it's it's absolutely nothing. It's a little flight, but it's it, it wasn't that he went to the other side of the world. It's not so far, and what we can see from this whole selling process is that he was um, that there were caravans. You know, there were these traders moving backwards and forwards all the time. So caravans made this journey all the time. Surely Yosef should have found an opportunity to send his father a short message to tell him, hey, Pops, I'm in trouble. You know, um, I've been sold as a slave. We know, we know for sure that even if he was a, a year's journey away, if he was far away, he, he could have made some plan to message Yaakov. And we know in turn that Yaakov would have only been too happy to pay any expense necessary to redeem him and bring him home. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, why did Yosef not try to make contact with his father? It, there, there was ample opportunity somewhere along the line to go and say, hey, I'm alive, or hey, come save me, I need help. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So let's work out why did Joseph not send a message? Well, as we've spoken in the past, one of the things that I like to bring to your attention is that Torah is a multifaceted story. It's not just black and white, and this is what it is. There are many things happening inside the story, in the fabric of the story, in the line of the story, on many, many, many levels. That's what makes Torah so infinite and makes it godly in that you can look and see. In fact, it says, I think it says, Ben Bagbag says you can turn the Torah over and over. It's got 70 facets to the Torah. There are 70 ways to look at each and every single thing in Torah. And so that's what I'm going to show you today. So the first answer as to why Yosef didn't send his father a short message is that he was bound by a cherem. A cherem is a dread oath. It is a promise um, that is made in a minion. What happened here? We know that when the brothers sold uh, um, Yosef 
into captivity. They made a chayra, they made an oath not to reveal the truth to Yaakov. Now, one, any person can be bound by such a public oath, even against his will. And even Yosef was bound by it. Because the brothers had made that, that promise, that oath, he too was bound by it. And we know that when there is a majority in a community, and a majority in a community consists of at least 10 adults, that's why we have a minion, when they make a public oath, the entire community is bound by it. So when they made that promise of not going and telling their father the truth, Yosef was bound by it as well. Now just, you could argue, well, Ruvain was not present at the time, therefore there were only nine men present. So who could have been considered the 10th? And the answer here is, is that um, God himself consented to being the 10th in this oath. And we're also told that when Reuven returned, they informed him that they had made this oath not to reveal the deed to their father, and therefore they were all bound by it, including Yosef. Now, why would God join in this oath? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Torah is multifaceted. Remember, we're looking at the story on a practical level. It's seemingly cruel. It looks like something horrible. You don't want your children to go uh, selling off their siblings elsewhere. But on a much deeper level, we know that there was the promise that they had to go down to Egypt. And uh, so to speak, God was colluding with that. And we can see that God agreed to the brothers all the way, even from Yitzchak. Do you remember we said last week that Yitzhak had prophetic knowledge of this degree, the decree? And he didn't go, he cried with Yaakov, we are told, but he didn't mourn Yosef. Why? Because Yitzhak himself knew that this was what was supposed to happen. And we know, particularly from Isaac, from Yitzhak, that his the power of his prayers was so powerful that it had the power to accomplish anything. He could easily, easily have overturned the decree. How do we know? Because we know that he he caused Rivka, his wife, to have children, even though she was sterile. Okay? Now, Yitzhak could easily have prayed to, to God uh, and, and tell God to inform Yaakov the truth, or he could have told the truth, but he himself was part of this oath. He refrained from praying because a decree that includes an oath cannot be annulled. So God was part of this entire plan. Yitzhak was part of this plan. And on a much deeper level, as we have said, his brothers were not rascals. They were not um, nasty human beings that just hated their brother. They knew deep down inside that they had, they had a prophecy that things were going to happen, that Yosef was going to, 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 to um, land up you know, making the path towards Egypt, and they knew that God had decreed that they would land up emigrating to Egypt because we, they had to fulfill the decree of Abraham. Um, so on all those levels, that is why Yosef did not contact his father. Okay. Also, Another another um, point to be brought out is that if Yaakov had found out the truth, 
he would have cursed his sons and they would have died as Rachel did. And then what would have happened? The entire Jewish nation would never have come into existence. So on, on, on a more deeper level, everybody understood the concept of Hashkocha Pratis, of divine providence, that things were happening for a reason. And we're told that because Yosef was extremely intelligent and he understood the entire situation, he didn't look at it just on a practical level, he had patience and he didn't inform his father until the proper time when he saw that that which was supposed to happen would indeed happen. Just to add one more thing is that Benjamin also knew the truth and he also kept quiet for all the above reasons. So whilst Yaakov on one level did not see his son anymore, and we discussed this at length last week as well, he had to suffer the pain of not having his son physically because Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure, he was being punished for being away from his parents for 22 years. And that was as long as Yosef was uh, away from his family for 22 years. If you missed that podcast, you can go back and listen to the entire explanation. So on a practical level, uh, Yaakov had to suffer for 22 years um, until he saw Yosef as the viceroy. But nevertheless, on a much deeper level, everybody knew that there was something much greater playing out and everybody remained silent. Now let's go on to understanding how Yosef was in fact sold because we spoke that either was sold four times or he was sold five times. He went to the Midianites, he went to the Yishmaelites, he went to the Hamdanim, the, the, I don't know how to pronounce that in English, um, some said then he was in Egypt, he went to Potiphar. What, what actually happened? Firstly, we should, we, we, we are told that all of these, these sellings, all of these um, changing of hands served as a vanguard for the brothers because their intent was that wherever the Jewish people would find themselves, their subjugation wouldn't be so great. They wouldn't be subjugated only to one person. So this changing of going from one hand to another to another was symbolic of the Jewish people who in Galut, in, in our, uh, our exile, in our dispersion, which we are still in to this very day, Okay, we go from place to place to place. Okay, so that that is very important. The second thing is, is the Midrash says that God told all the brothers, you sold your brother as a slave. Now the time will come when your descendants will say, Avadim hayinu leparo We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And we still say that to this day, right? We say that in the Haggadah. The second thing that we know about this slavery story was that we know the selling of Yosef was actually, um, would actually result in a benefit, right? It would lead to the eventual redemption of the, of the Israelites. And so in, one, in another breath, God was very pleased with the brothers that they did what they did, because we would say, Avadim hayinu lefaro b'mitzrayim v'yotzienu Hashem b'yad But God took us out with a strong hand. So if Yosef had not been sold, we would still be slaves with Paroi in Mitzrayim. We say that in the Haggadah as well. So there's a much deeper, more intricate, complex layer to this entire thing. But what I want to tell you now 
Um, and you can sit back, take yourself a cup of coffee. I want to tell you a fas the fascinating medrash behind the entire story, um, which explains how he went from one hand to another and what actually happened on the way down to Egypt. So the medrash goes as follows, that when Yosef was in the pit, right? Remember, they threw him in the pit. They went to break bread, the brothers, because um, they, were, they, 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 they were trying to work out what to do with him. It says that Yosef started screaming and he started pleading in such a way that anybody's flesh would like stand up. Like it was just, it was terrible the way he was screaming. And we're told that he was begging his brothers and he was shouting, tell me, what have I done wrong? When will you answer to God? How will you ever face our father? And even if I did do something wrong to you, how can you do what you're doing? We're brothers. We are all sons of Abraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov, who are always kind and merciful. And we are told that Yosef was screaming so loudly that the brothers had to walk away from the pit because they couldn't bear to listen to him. And they were trying to come up with a plan of how to get rid of him. While they were plotting, a Gishmalite caravan passes by. On the way from Gilad to Egypt. That's what we read in verse 25. I'm going to just go back to it. Um, they went to break bread. So they could they sit down to try to work out what they could do with him. They saw a caravan of Yishmaelites coming from Gilad. Seeing them, we know Yehuda says, my advice is we sell him to the Yishmaelites. He'll be brought down to Egypt. We'll never hear from him again. And at least we don't have to commit bloodshed. Remember, we went through that. And as we know, all the brothers agreed to sell him when the caravan came by. But meanwhile, seven Midianite traders passed by. That's in verse 28. So if you go look in verse 28, it says, There were Midianite traders that passed by. They take Yosef from the, the boar, from the pit. So Yishmaelites were passing by. Yehuda says, it's a good idea we should sell him to the, Yishmael, the Yishmaelites. But in the meanwhile, seven Midianite tra tra traders passed by, and they were very thirsty from their travels in the desert, we're told, and they were looking for water. Where do you look for water? You look for water in a pit. You look for a well. So they find a pit, and they go look, but what do they see inside? Instead of water, they see a handsome young man standing there crying, they throw ropes to him, they draw him up from out the pit, and they took him along with them. And before long, what happens is they pass the brothers who were further down the road. The brothers now see Yosef hanging around with the Midianim. They yell to the Midianites, Hey, that's our slave you have there. We placed him in a pit to teach him a lesson. Give him back to us. He is ours. Uh-uh-uh. Not so far, said the Midianites. Look at his face. 
he is certainly from a noble family. His bearing is not like that of a slave. And since we found him, he's ours and we will take him with us. That, says the Midrash, enraged the brothers even more. You better give us back our slave, because if you don't, you're all dead men. Maybe you don't know who we are, but we'll soon fi- you'll find out soon that um, we're not a bunch of weaklings. So it says at that point in time, the Midianites drew their swords and they attacked. Now, they didn't know who they were attacking, Right. And we know if we cast our mind back to Shimon and Levi that went and killed the entire city of Shechem, well, you can just imagine what happened. Shimon gave a tremendous war cry. They got completely terrified and they fell to the ground in shock. And Shimon said to them, you know, you should know who I am. I am Shimon, son of Yaakov. I wiped out the entire city of Shechem single-handed. My brothers and I waged war against all the Amorite kings, and we killed all, even though they had huge armies and innumerable troops. If you bring all the kings of Canaan to fight against me, I will not be afraid. All of them together are no more than a gnat, a, a little nothing to me. Give us back our slave before we destroy you. So all he did was he shrieked. He let out a scream. When the Midianites realized they were in a precarious situation, they started negotiating, started speaking a bit more gently, a little bit more respectfully. All right, they said, we understand that that this is your slave, but you had punished them for you had punished him for being disobedient, and you obviously will never derive any benefit from him. A slave who's disrespectful to his master cannot be improved. So why don't you just sell him to us at our price? And that is when the brothers agreed and they sold him to the Midianites for 20 pieces of silver. Then they went on their way. Now the Midianites soon after that transaction began to have misgivings about their bargain. They started saying, look, maybe we made a terrible mistake. He's such a proud young man. He's not going to be a slave. Maybe he was kidnapped, and look how cheaply they let him go, and he'll be discovered with us, and we'll be the ones who'll be in trouble, and we'll be the ones accused of kidnapping him. And they were deliberating over there, and before long, the path of the Midianites crossed with that of the Yishmaelites. So what did the Midianites do? They sold Yosef to the Yishmaelite Arabs for the same price they had paid for him, and they went on their way. And they went, thank God, we are able to rid ourselves of this headache. The Yishmaelites now head towards Egypt with a new purchase. When Yosef hears where he's been taken, he starts to cry bitterly. He realizes that with every step, he was going further and further away from home. And when the Yishmaelites saw him weeping, they couldn't work out what was going on. They said, well, maybe he's crying because it's just too sore for him to ride on a camel because he's never ridden on a camel before. So they took him off the camel and they made him walk. Still, he kept crying uncontrollably, Yosef. 
So one of the Ishmaelites came up to him and gave him a strong slap in the face to quiet him. And it said the others also started to berate him and beat him for making him stop. But they couldn't stop this slave, good old Yosef, from crying. But before long, we know that providence made every hand that had struck Yosef become paralyzed. It also became very dark and the Ishmaelites didn't know where they were going. We are going to continue the story. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, so we have a bunch of paralyzed Yishmaelim. Um, it got very dark um, on, because of Yosef. God was, um, was protecting him. What happened? The next day came, the episode passed, the Yishmaelite caravan comes to the village of Ephrat, which we now know today as Beit Lechem. It says when they arrived there, Yosef runs to his mother's grave, to his mother's grave, Rachel, and he fl- flings himself on it in tears and he says, Mother dear, wake up, see your son. My brothers have sold me as a slave and no one has pity on me. Wake up, mother, and seek justice from on high. Why, why did this happen to me? I have been torn away from my father, from my family, and I've been sold to these murderers who beat me like a dog. It says that he lay on the grave for a long time, weeping bitterly, and suddenly a still voice was heard coming from the grave. Yosef, my son, I see your agony and I hear your cries. I grieve very much to see you like this, but know, my son, that patience is a great virtue in your world. I promise you that Hashem will be with you, God will be with you, and you will not be harmed. Now, my son, go down to Egypt with your masters, and things will turn out well there. Well, seeing that Yosef had wept so much, one of the Ishmaelites dragged him away from the grave, berating and beating with mercy, and Yosef pleaded with him, please, I beg you, bring me back to my father. You'll be very glad you did. He's very wealthy. He'll give you a tremendous reward. To which the Ishmaelite sneered, if you're telling the truth, why were you sold so cheaply? You're like an escaped criminal. And he beat Yosef even more. Because the Ishmaelite did that to him, and as we know that Hashem looks after the tzaddikim, suddenly the skies became overcast, clouds and thunder and lightning crashed all around them, strong winds and hail came down, it became so dark they couldn't see a, th- a thing. The caravan, the caravan of Ishma- Ishmaelim couldn't proceed and they couldn't go back. Finally, one of the Ishmaelites said, it seems that we're being punished because of the way we treated this young man. We had better treat him well and speak to him politely, and maybe he will even forgive us. If our troubles are alleviated, we'll know that it was because of him. So they all came. They fell before Yosef's feet and asked him to forgive them and pray for them. He readily acquiesced, and almost instantly the skies cleared up. The men who had all been paralyzed were also suddenly cured, and then they continued on their way. Before I carry on the story, Alavai, I wish that all of us would be 
intuitive enough to realize that when things come our way, that they're not just what happens on a practical level. Look at these Yishmaelites. They, 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 they put two and two together. Anyway, they were continuing on the way. One of the Yishmaelites said to the others, maybe we should bring him to his father. Maybe they'll make them all happy because he was able to cause quite a calamity. Another replied, no, we're almost in Egypt. You want to go back all the way to Canaan. We'll sell him in Egypt. We'll be rid of him there. As the Yishmaelites approach the city, what do they see? They see four Madanite traders leaving on business. So what did they do? The Yishmaelites sell Yosef to the Hamdanim, the Madanites, for five pieces of silver. The Madanites acquired something so good, they go back to the city and they say, look, we know that Pharaoh's officer Potiphar is seeking to buy a good slave. And he wants someone who will serve him and look after his household. This boy looks like he can, you know, he fits, fits his needs. He's suitably fitted for the, for the needs. So they bring Yosef to Potiphar. They praise Yosef in front of them. And they said, we'd like you to see, let you see for yourself. Isn't this exactly what, he, what you're looking for? And Potiphar beholds Yosef and he praises him and he says, I'm quite impressed. He says to, to the merchants, just name your price, but first tell me where you bought him because I can see he's a very handsome lad. He's got a very noble bearing. I'm afraid that he doesn't look like a slave, rather that he looked like he was kidnapped from some important household. Um, and from his face, you could see that he's a true aristocrat. So the Madanites look out for the Yishmaelites that brought him to Potiphar. The Yishmaelites told them they had birth, bought them from the Midianites. Okay? So they were, were trying to work out what was going on and they really, really couldn't. In the meantime, back at the ranch, as we say, okay, um, the brothers had brought Yosef's coat to Yaakov. And Yaakov said the following to the boys. He said to them, arm yourselves and go searching in the fields in an attempt to go find at least some of Yosef's remains so we can give them a decent burial. And he also told his sons, to bring him back the first carnivorous beast they in, in, um, encountered, because maybe Hashem will have mercy and it would be the animal that killed his son. And then he would feel um, that that um, there would be some revenge and some some type of settling. So the brothers followed their father's orders, and obviously they, they can't find Yosef because they know where he is, but they find a wolf, and they bring the wolf to Yaakov. And it says, Yaakov grabbed the wolf and with, tearing, with tears flowing down his cheeks, he screamed at it, how could you do such a thing to my son? Are you not afraid of the Lord of the universe? Do you not know that God repays everyone for his deeds? You killed my innocent son. God will take revenge. Now, because Yaakov was such a tzaddik, he understood the language of animals. The wolf responded back to Yaakov. By my life, my Lord, I have never seen your son. I have as much bitterness in my heart as you have. Ten days ago, I was separated from my son, and I have not seen him since. I do not know whether he is alive or dead, and I've been searching for him in the mountains. 
but now I've been captured by your sons and brought here. Since I am but a beast, while you are a human, you can do with me as you please, but swear by the life of all worlds that I have never seen your son. I have never allowed human flesh to enter my mouth. I may be a beast of prey, but I certainly am not a man-eater. This gave Yaakov some type of consolation. And he was, he became so engrossed in the discussion with the wolf that at the end he was actually patting, patting, patting him on the head and eventually he let him go. We're told further in the Midrash that Yaakov did two other things to try work out where Yosef was. Because you remember we said he suffered ter terribly because he never had any finality. Bringing the wolf just told them there was no finality. There was no remains of Yosef. One Midrash says that he went into the mountains and he took 12 stones and he set them up in a row. And on each of those these stones, he put one of the names of his sons, the month of the son's birth and his son of the Zodiac. And he said to the stones, I order you to rise when I announce the name of Ruvain, who's the oldest. And the stones didn't move. Shimon, son didn't move. He called of Levi, Yehuda, and all the rest of his sons with no results. When he said the name of Yosef, suddenly all other 11 sons, stones rose up. We're also told he did this with trees. On each of the trees, he wrote the name of one of his sons, and then he called out the name of each of his sons. The trees didn't move. When he announced Yosef's name, all the trees bent themselves and bowed towards Yosef's tree. So even though Yaakov was not 100% certain that Yosef was still alive because he wasn't allowed to know, he had an inkling that something wasn't just quite right. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, I told you I was going to tell you stories today. There's one other side of the story that we don't know. And this was that, this, that Esav, you remember, had made up with Yaakov. Now when Yaakov was mourning, Esav suddenly appeared with 4,000 armed warriors. They surrounded Yaakov's house and they, they began to rain arrows on it. And running to the wall, Yaakov sees this huge army surrounding his home and he became very frightened. He only had 200 servants and 11 sons. And on top of it, as you know, Yosef, who was his main defense against Esav, was gone. So he sends a message to Esav, and he's trying to reason with him again and trying to make peace with him again. And now Yehuda comes to Yosef and says, Father, there is no more time for civilities. Your brother's about to storm the house. Yaakov realizes his son was right, so he takes a powerful bow and he begins firing arrows. His first arrow kills Adoram the Edomite. The second arrow hits Asaph in the thigh and it wounds him severely. And we are told then that his sons brought Asaph to the city of Adarim and this is where Asaph dies. There is another opinion that Asaph did not die at that time, but we are going to hold on to this opinion for now until we get to the Pasha of Ayechi. 
In addition, a huge battle breaks out between Yaakov's sons and Esau's men. Yehuda, Naphtali, and Gad go to the south. Levi, Dan, and Asher to the east. Reuven, Yisachar, Zvulun to the north. Shimon, Benjamin, and Hanoch, who was the son of Reuven, to the west. There each get 50 of Yaakov's servants, and they... They, uh, they, they have an incredible, incredible war, okay? Um, and the Midrash goes in on how they were attacked, etc., etc. The bottom line is, is that Asaph's troops sustain and lose a large portion of their men. Um, and when they tried to um, bandy back together after there was a lot of collateral damage, um, they try to, to, to fight with Yehuda particularly. Yehuda's men um, are able to, to fight them back. The bottom line is, is that they kill, of the 4,000 men, um, they manage to kill most of them, 600 survivors are left that flee in, in panic. And we're told amongst the survivors, are the, the following sons of Esav, Reuel, Yeush, Yalam, and Korah. The only son of Esav that didn't partake in this fight was Eliphaz, because he was studying Torah with Yaakov. He had done tshuva, and he wasn't going to attack, attack them. We're told that, as we said, that Esav got wounded, and when he heard that so many men had died, that he, he, he died because of the shock of hearing that his men were lost in battle. And it says that Yaakov's sons pursued them as far as their hometown. And when Asaph's men saw the brothers were about to storm the gates, uh, they, they, they came and they, they fell before Yaakov's sons' feet and begged that they be left in peace. And they also agreed to pay an annual um, taxation. And with this, they were allowed to remain in peace. How's that? One posuk. So much went behind this posuk. Unbelievable. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed telling you. Stay tuned. I'll be back this time next week.